The Athletic. Welcome to this week's episode of Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Hello. And right now, you can access The Athletic with 30% off if you use the code MANCITYPOD. You'll get access to loads of great football writing about Manchester City and more, and you'll get ad-free podcasts as well. Uh, Sam, what are, you, uh, what are you working on right now? Uh, well, I've just finished working on the Pep at 50 piece, which I talked about last week. So that kind of looks at you know, what Pep was like at 20 and 30 and 40 and, you know, the kind of things that shaped his evolution as a person and coach and footballer and that kind of thing. Um, we had a bit of a look at what might happen at, at Pep at 60 as well and beyond. Um, so that's definitely worth a look. This week, I'm going to be working... On, I'm, I'm definitely going to be working on more of a focus on Gundogan and his role in the team and, you know, more specifically, his role in the team in the last month. Um and I know a lot of people will probably be hoping for something on Cancelo, and I will do something on Cancelo as well. But um, that just requires a bit more work, basically. So maybe by the end of the week or the start of next week, I'll be able to rope in some of the data guys and get some nice tables and graphics and all that kind of stuff to, to tell you why Cancelo's been so good. Lovely stuff. Uh, well, if you want access to that, just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod, and you'll get 30% off. Um, Sam, I, 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 I'd say this as the first question of the show with um, kind of bated breath, but uh, it, I, am I wrong in feeling like this is now City's title to lose? Uh, uh, that's quite a loaded question, isn't it? But, <laughs> but I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. Um, like obviously, during the game yesterday and the way it went on, and you know, when a team scores the fourth goal by putting a free kick in the top corner, everybody watching, City fans or not, start to think something's happening here. And yeah, that's been. But I mean, that's been my feeling. I'm trying to think since when? Probably since the Chelsea game. So when I did that article on the Chelsea game, saying it had been a few weeks in the making, and these are the tactical tweaks they'd made. You know, there was a there was a bit. It wasn't like a proper backlash. I've had I've had worse in the last couple of weeks. But there were people saying, <laughs> "Look, it's just one game," and I was like, it's, "It doesn't feel like one game, though. It feels like something's happening. It feels like something's changed." It feels like it certainly felt at the time like it was uh, like they were moving up a gear in their in their levels of performances. And okay, we wanted to see more and more and and, and see that kind of consistently over the next few weeks. But you know, here we are. We've seen it. We have, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and the West Brom game, again, I've mentioned this before, the West, the West Brom game was bad, but the intention was there to get people forward. And then after that, you know, there was still that intention to get people forward. It started clicking a bit more. Um, I mean, in terms of going back to the question you asked, and is it City's title to lose? Again, I don't, I don't even don't know whether I should say yes or no, but I definitely know what you mean. It It feels like, if you put it this way, what do Liverpool have to fix to win the title? They need to get a bit of form back, don't they? They need to... You know, they need to click how they're playing because they don't look quite the same, which is kind of what happened with City last year when Laporte was out, when Sane was out, when De Bruyne missed a couple of games. It was like that well-oiled machine wasn't quite ticking over as smoothly as it used to. So they've got that to sort out. United, um, it's just kind of... United just need to prove that they can actually, you know, stick in a title race and and stay consistent. And they might, you know, they might... No, they, this has gone on long enough with them now, mate. They need to they, they need to realise the place and, and get well, yeah, back to where they were. <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah but, but genuinely, the, the thing that surprised me about United is I didn't expect them to beat Villa when they 
when that Villa game, I can't even remember what milestone it would have been, but it was like beat Villa and they'll do something. And then obviously the Burnley game was beat Burnley and go top. And I was just like, they're not going to do this because that's they haven't over recent years. So obviously United have got probably the other team in there that have got a lot to be said for them, but they haven't got as much to be said as City have because they haven't proven in recent years that they can stick in the title race. And there's still a, I think there's still more questions about them than there are about City. And then the other teams like Leicester, similar to United really, um, in the sense that there's a lot of good stuff about how they play. Um, but I'm just not sure about the consistency. And then other teams like Tottenham, you know, Tottenham haven't really had been properly in the conversation for a while now. Um, so yeah, City are definitely, um, I don't know, in, in the best kind of position, but obviously everything that comes with that, such as, you know, we're not even halfway through the season yet. Well, I was going to say, yeah, we are, you know, we're, we're two games shy of halfway for City. Um, how did it, How did it get to this point from being, as I thought, in trouble for the top four earlier on this season? Yeah, well... Well, like with the other teams, and I've just mentioned you know, the things they need to fix, City have fixed their things already. As simple as that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's very succinct for me. But I mean, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wary of the fact that we talked about the defence, even as like as far back ago as the derby, we were saying, even though it was a kind of like, well, it was a bad game and, you know, a lot of the fans were like, oh, you should have gone for the win and it was, what what's going on with City? And, you know, I was still a bit like, what's going on with City at that point? But we did say, look, at least they have fixed the defence. They have sorted that out. They know what they want to do. Um, and that had been that had been fixed really since very early on in the season. The only other thing, the only other problem then was it kind of meant at the time that if City were going to be defensively solid, they were kind of stodgy and didn't really create too much and weren't very fun to watch. Um, so after that United game, it was like, well, they need to fix that really, and they have like that. So that's it. Like that's their that's their main doubt done. And I'm not saying there's no more doubts about the team. I'm not saying there's nothing that could derail them because, you know, especially with COVID, anything could happen. Um, but the other the other thing is just finishing the chances and the profitability, yeah. which obviously wasn't an issue in the 4-0 win. Um, that was one of those unusual performances where, you know, it was goals from crosses and set pieces and goals from outside the box, which is absolutely fine. Um, but like the Brighton game the other night was a little bit of a reminder of that. And we've seen, you know, Chelsea was 3-1. It could have been... 6-0 or 6-1 or 7-1 or whatever uh, if City had really taken their chances. So that's the only last thing. But the most important thing, as you mentioned before when you talked about maybe City can grind their way to the title with solid defensive performances, the way they've defended for pretty much all season, that's not a recent thing. It's pretty much all season. That's a big tick for them. Yeah. And up until around the Liverpool game, they weren't creating too much. I looked at the stats around that Liverpool game and they were much lower than they normally are. In the last couple of seasons, they've always been most chances created, most big chances created from open play, top of those stats. At that point, they were about sixth or seventh or even eighth, something like that. But since then, they've started creating the chances and in the last month in particular, really creating them. So they're defensively solid. They're creating a lot. That's two out of three. And then, yeah, if they can take all of their chances, they'll beat more teams 4-0. But the good thing is, with that combination of being solid and creating, even if they don't score everything, they do have chances of winning games 1-0 and still yeah. dominating. So, yeah, like, like I don't want to sit here and kind of get carried away and really talk them up, but compared to the other teams, I think they are in a much better position. 
let's get into that um, the kind of the why of all of that because I'm interested in whether Guardiola has has kind of loosened the shackles on on the attacking performances, allowed a little bit more creative freedom now that the defense yeah. is a lot more solid, or if it's just simply that the system is 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 has been tweaked, it's starting to work properly because the uh, like Gundogan's playing a little bit further forward, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's weird because. And this this question came up on my Q&A after the game. And it was something I've been thinking as well. Because if you were to think of what have been the changes, like the West Brom game was wingers on their natural sides. Um, Gundogan was pushed further forward. They were attacking with kind of like a, a front four. Both fullbacks were getting forward. So that was kind of new and unusual. But since then, so the Newcastle game onwards, really, it's been the left back coming into midfield. Wingers on their natural sides. Gundogan's been pushed forward into like more of a number eight position alongside De Bruyne. And you think, well, that's just what they did when they won the title. <laughs> like that's just 2017-18. Yeah. And it was like, surely Pep must have thought, like surely you can't have taken Pep half the season to think, what should I do? Oh shit, yeah, let's just do that again. So that's kind of kind of a strange one. The only other thing that's any in any way different to, to what's happened recently is Cancelo. Because obviously Cancelo, when he's played at right back, he's not just gone into midfield like a kind of Philip Lahm or um, Fabian Delph mentioning those two in the same sentence seems a bit weird. <laughs> fair play to Delph, he was very good at that. Um, That's my head just exploding. Yeah. But, but Cancelo obviously has gone forward into those number eight positions as well. So that's the only difference. Um, but no, it's definitely like a conscious thing from Guardiola. I, I'm convinced after the derby, he's thought, well, okay, well, we've done the job there, but we can't keep playing like this. And yeah, it, it just seems like the answers came to him kind of overnight. Like, oh yeah, let's just do what we did before to get people further forward. Because before it was, uh, so like Cancelo, if he was playing left back, he would get forward. Obviously Walker would stay back. Gundogan would stay back as well with Rodri. So they were attacking really with De Bruyne. And everybody listening to this will know that De Bruyne was carrying an awful lot of burden on his shoulders. He was doing everything. Was I mean, He always creates more than everybody else for City. But it was a bit ridiculous the extent to which he was being relied on. And then, so they had, they were attacking through De Bruyne and then the three forwards. But then like the three forwards, obviously it was the inverted wingers and the teams were playing very narrow and City weren't using the ball very quickly. So they weren't creating too many good chances. And it was, so who who was doing anything for City? It was De Bruyne and Cancelo were creating and then the forwards were kind of funneled into a a big packed area by the defence. And and that was about it. That was it, But now, But now you've got, Cancelo getting forward from right back. You've got Gundogan getting forward alongside De Bruyne. So that's three in that number eight position already compared to one before. You've got the winger stretching the play. So there's more areas for them to get into. And obviously with that space and the movement, there's just there's just more going on. You know, the defence, you know, this morning isn't the best day to make that point because it wasn't like City carved Palace apart. But that's fine because they didn't carve Palace apart in the last two seasons and they didn't win either. So sometimes you just need to score goals however you get them. But what City have generally been doing... And in fact, against Palace, sorry, in the first half, it was inverted wingers again, wasn't it? It was yeah. like Guardiola had actually gone back to... And I'm thinking maybe Guardiola thought, I don't like Crystal Palace's counter-attacks and this is what I'm going to do to stop it. So it was, let's go inverted wingers... We've got Carl Walker for the counter-attack, so he's not going to do the same thing as Cancelo. It might not be a very pretty game, but we will probably create a couple of chances. We better hope we take them. I I wonder if that's what he was thinking, because it was quite unusual to abandon what had worked so well. 
And in the end, with the score, you know, he was vindicated in that. But it was, it was quite strange. But that's been the change basically since then. It's there's just been more men in attacking areas, more men arriving um, from deep. If you think to that Foden goal at Chelsea when De Bruyne put the ball in from the left, um, Bernardo Silva and Cancelo were attacking the edge of the box. There's always, I mean, there's always men in the right positions. But now it's just done at the right tempo. People are arriving at the right time. You know, they're not arriving and the ball's standing still or you know, people are standing still. They're getting there into space and that's because there's just more movement going on up front. Um, the defence is, the opposition defence is being stretched out. Yeah, there's more people getting forward. That's that's how it's changed. Well, this this is from Simon Nee on Twitter, uh, who who echoes a lot of what you've what you've just said there, Sam. He says, uh, watching the Palace game last night, and not only did City move them side to side, but they continually compressed and decompressed them to make the space. Also, our passing is slightly slower, and players hold onto the ball longer to encourage the play the opposition to chase it down. And that, I mean, that that's that, that's been a big thing. That it's the movement, isn't it? That's that's been. Um, it, it feels like like there's so much more movement in the front end of the pitch in the last six eight weeks or so. Yeah, um, well, again, it feels like six or eight weeks, but it's probably only been about a month. What day is it today? The 7th, the 18th? 18th. Yeah, so, I mean, the West Brom game was probably around the 18th of December. Um, so it's only been about a month. So it, it does feel a bit like, oh, premature. But at the same time, it has been eight games in a row that City have won now. So that's that's why it feels longer, and it, and it has been longer, really. It, it doesn't just feel like a, a flash in the pan. Um yeah, there there has been a lot more movement. Again, like I say, I'm I'm not I'm not sure the Palace game was a, a great example of that. Um, and I hope Guardiola's not going to go back to that long term. It'll be interesting to see what he does against Villa. Yeah, um, because that's that's more of a hope, not hope for the best, but it's like a kind of well, we're going to control this game and we'll we'll take a couple of chances. Whereas in the games before that, it was well, we're we're, we're going to control this game, but we're we're also going to blitz them, which is you know City at their best, and they've shown they can do that. Um, but um, yeah, they moved Palace around yesterday, but not that quickly. It was a lot of cross-field passes. But this is why I mentioned last week on on a, on the Blue Moon podcast that we did together. Maybe later on in the season, if Laporte gets back to the level where he's as good as Stones and Diaz, and after a few games, Guardiola can rotate the three of them with the same security and knowledge that they will, you know, benefit the team. Maybe in those really important games, say if City get Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, for example, you might need Laporte at left back just for that extra minute detail. Sorry, not left back, at left centre back. Left centre back, yeah. Just for that extra minute detail of switching the ball quicker on his left foot. Because yesterday they were doing it, and it didn't really move Palace around too much. They were switching the ball to the wing, but not a lot came from it after that. And they, it just needed to be a little bit quicker. So the Palace game wasn't the best example of how good City are looking in terms of committing men forward and the changes since the derby. But it is a good example of this is a team now that does have different ways to win. Yeah, Because well, last, season, last season, they wouldn't have won that game. But, but it's as simple as that, really. Last season... They they would have just had problems, you know, breaking the team down. They wouldn't have created that many chances, or the chance wouldn't have came. They'd have may, maybe got impatient, conceded the goal on the break, that kind of thing. Sometimes, like I mentioned in my article, like the company goal against Leicester. Sometimes you just you need something that's zero point zero five xg to to go in, like Sterling's winner against Southampton in the hundred point season. Sometimes you need a goal like that just to get you those three points. And look, it you might not have dominated the game, you might not have created great chances, but does that help, like harm your chances of winning the title, of, of being good 
title contenders. Absolutely not. Sometimes you just need to win when the other things aren't quite there. Yeah. Um, well, looking at, at uh, that performance in a way uh, from from two different ends of uh, the telescope, Divyam on Twitter says, uh, with everyone talking about City marching to the title, me as a fan thinks that we are a bit lucky with goals coming from midfield on a regular basis, which overshadows the underperforming front three, Mares and Jesus especially. Am I overthinking this? Uh, meanwhile, Matt says, do you think this is a more all-rounded team in that we can win games in multiple ways, headers, set pieces, etc., rather than the usual style of play? Yeah. Um, well, the Divyam question is very interesting. I and mean, It's kind of what I've said already in the sense that if there's one thing that you need to sort out, it's just taking the chances now. And he's right about the front three. And like, again, when you looked at the team yesterday, not just thinking, oh, it's going to be inverted wingers and, you know, Walker's playing instead of Cancelo. How's this going to go? It was, well, Sterling and Jesus are the two most profligate players on the team. And obviously Foden was doing really well and has got, you know, City's top scorer this season. And you just think maybe they were losing something there. Um, and now again, Jesus, yeah, didn't, I didn't really have a chance, to be honest. Um, Sterling obviously scored that one at the end. So there's, there is definitely a part of it that the front three do need to score more goals. But um, I wouldn't say if the goals coming from midfield are lucky. Like we, because basically, I'm not going to go over it again. But we just talked about how more men are getting forward, and the, you know they're they're arriving into space at the right time. There's more men up there. There's more space to work with. You know, Gundogan's in a position now. Guardiola said on Sunday night, he goes, I knew from watching him play under Klopp at Dortmund that he had a goal in him. And again, we're seeing that at the moment. You know, maybe you can't expect him to keep keep up this rate of, I'm trying to think what he's got. It's probably four in six or something I think it's like four that. in six, yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, you probably can't expect him to keep that up. But you keep getting good players like that in those kind of positions. And, you know, that's, that's not luck. Um, and, and if anything, they've been unlucky in the sense that De Bruyne has not scored. You know, De Bruyne has had some great chances. Uh, and even that one just before he made that fantastic assist on Sunday, uh, when he chose to pass it instead, the angle was a bit narrow, to be fair, but the pass wasn't much of a better option either. So that maybe goes to show his kind of lack of confidence in front of the goal at the moment. But no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's luck. I think that's a function of the team working well. Um, and Matt's question about being all-rounded, in terms of the defence, absolutely. Uh, this might be the most defensively solid they've looked under Pep, taking into account that a lot of, they obviously, and I'm not downplaying the individual contributions of the defenders in the previous seasons whatsoever, but they also had the high pressing as well. So a lot of the pressing was done up the pitch and it was, you know, it was a lot more intense game to game. They stopped a lot of attacks before they even started and that helped with the overall defensive solidity and not, and City not conceded too many goals. But where they look a bit more defensively solid now is even when they do have a counter-attack to deal with, they can just deal with it. Like obviously, the Liverpool game a few months ago before City had refined the the approach um, to the extent that they have now, they were conceding a lot of counter-attacks then, but the defence were just dealing with it. And it's got to the stage now where it's like, Otamendi and Stones were great in the first part of that 2017-18 season. If you think of probably Laporte and company at the end of 18-19, it's probably similar levels to that. But I, I don't know, I just get the feeling that I can I can I be honest with you, mate. I think this is this is possibly the best defense City have had in uh, as long as I can remember as a as a fan. I yeah. don't, like even even the Mancini side that was built on keeping clean sheets and 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 you know winning tight games, 
in his what in his first full season in charge when they won the FA Cup. I, I, this defense is just so much more comfortable than that one was. Yeah, I, I think I know I'm, I'm waffling a bit for a change, but I just think that yeah, in the past it was a it was a whole unit in terms of the pressing, and it was a defensive it was a good defensive unit because it was a good attacking unit and a counter pressing unit. At the moment, it's not quite that level. So and the defense is probably pulling their weight a bit more than the previous defenders had to, and they're fully capable of that. And yeah, like with Stones and and Diaz at the heart of it, because like you wouldn't necessarily look at Zinchenko and say Zinchenko's been really good recently. He served his purpose as a as that left back that comes inside, and I'd like to see Nathan Ake do that when he's fit again. And then obviously Cancelo has been such a big part of everything City are doing going forward, but he has improved a lot defensively as well. We saw that in that Liverpool game when he just. You know, did all the blocks and tackles and clearances and interceptions that you need to do. Walker had started off with a very good season. Yeah, he's still a big part of the team. So in that defensive sense, yes, they're they're arguably more impressive. Overall, it's a good question, Matt, in terms of headers and set pieces rather than the usual style. Um, possibly. But I don't know. I mean, maybe we're kind of misremembering the 17-18 season. Because I'm trying to think of Stones' last goal before the one at United the other week. That was against Napoli, wasn't it? That was a big towering header. I remember a couple of... I remember Laporte scoring a big header at Wolves um, in the start of the 2018-19 season. I know City haven't always been good for set-piece goals, but I wouldn't be surprised if the amount they're getting at the moment is probably similar to what they got in in recent years. Um, I think they could definitely improve on that. I think if Diaz starts getting a couple as well, which he certainly looks capable of, that can help. Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Like, It's well, a strange question. Let, it's, it's a good question. I just can't get made around it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's come on to John Stones, because there's not really much more to say that we haven't said in the last few weeks. Uh, he's absolutely flying right now. I think the only thing we can say is, well done, Sam, on putting him in your fantasy football team instead of Cancelo, like I did. Yes, we all yeah. know. Um, the strange thing is, like you mentioned his goals there. 12 career goals he scored. Three of them have been braces. That's it. Just like it, it just, it just, they just seem to come in clumps. Fine old Panama and uh, and now Palace. Um, uh, the kind of the situation though that uh, that him and Diaz playing together so well kind of throws up is, is an interesting one. JC on Twitter asks: Is there a way back in for Laporte? It feels wrong that one of the world's best centre backs doesn't start for club or country at the moment. Uh, meanwhile, John simply suggests uh, that Laporte could be an option at left back. Uh, yeah, I. I... I've talked about this left-back thing before on Q&As. Um, I've, it's something I'd like to see in the sense that, like I, I just mentioned there, it'd be good for Ake to do it again when he comes back because he did it well against Newcastle on Boxing Day. Um, so, that I mean, that suits him. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, people are keen to get Laporte back into the side. And left-back does make sense, that kind of hybrid role. I know he did it against Liverpool a couple of years ago. I think he did it twice. I think maybe... It was in 2018 in the Champions League, and then I think it was 2019 in that 2-1 game, wasn't it? The when Sane scored the winner, 
He did it then as well. I forgot um, about that second one. I remember the first one because I remember not feeling particularly comfortable about it. But if he'd done well, it in the second one, I'm happy with it. I remember not feeling yeah. com- comfortable about the second one either. But obviously, because City won, it didn't matter. Nobody talked about it. It's it's the whole Guardiola overthinking side of things that nobody cares when nobody remembers or cares when it, when it wins. But it's a disaster when when they lose. Um, it, it's it's something that that could work. I wonder if we'd see it at some point. But at the moment, like if he's fit enough to play against Cheltenham, you wouldn't want to. Stick him at left back to see if it works. You just want to play him at centre back, like when they did at Marseille um, back in December again, uh, at the Etihad. He, he looked really good there. He didn't look like it had any ill effects from being dropped. And yeah, after so long out of the team because of injury, now um, he's just going to need to kind of build his way back up at centre back. And I mean, yeah, it doesn't. As JC says, it feels wrong, but what can you do? Like it's not like he's out. It's not like he's out and perhaps playing somebody who's not performing. You know, if Pep was had kept playing for argument's sake, Eric Garcia, which I know everybody hates, which is like I just f- think is incredibly unfair. But if he was playing Eric Garcia and Garcia was up and down, everyone would be tearing their air out. But obviously, everyone just knows the situation with Stones and Diaz, and that's football at the end of the day. Like players, players are out of the team. Like Bernardo Silva after his twenty eighteen nineteen season, he's not really played in that number eight role again. That's because De Bruyne is there. What can you do? It's De Bruyne. So that's that's just how it is with Laporte, and that's the challenge. You know, he's going to have to respond to it in the right way and get back in the team. What's the latest on Laporte's injury? Because um, I, I said to you privately recently that he's like, almost as like he just disappeared off the face of the earth for a bit and then it was a mysterious injury. It was hamstring, wasn't it, you said to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are very suspicious about this. But um, I think it was after the Brighton game that Pep said he'd be back in seven to ten days. He'd been in light training and should be back in seven to ten days. So I think Cheltenham is a decent, you know, there's a decent chance he'll be back for that. I know it's... A, that's at the other end of the week. We'll have to see how it goes in training between now and then. But if that seven to ten day time frame is right, then Cheltenham makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Blue Moon Army asks, uh, Sam talked up the need for balance in a pep team and said that he was desperate for a left-footed centre-back to provide that balance. Fast forward to today, and Pep is playing two right-footed centre-backs and keeping clean sheets and still has balance. Is the argument for a left-footed centre-back really valid? Uh, this is something that we we, we uh, kind of scratched the surface on on Blue Moon this week, but yeah. we didn't go into much depth on it. Um yeah. There's probably a bit of time to to kind of dig into oh, this now because uh, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's trying to annoy me there or he's having a go, but I, <laughs> I feel very annoyed about that. Like talked of the need for balance in a Pep team. Well, I mean Pep's talked up the need for balance there, which we can go back into. And said he was desperate for a left footed centre back. They signed Ake, so there we go. And like, the, but the, yeah, the the question on the Blue Moon one was more about. Um, how they were desperate for a left-sided centre-back in the summer and all, and all this kind of thing. But like I said, that was Ake. And the big player they wanted to get, the big kind of statement signing, was always going to be right-footed. You know, Koulibaly's right-footed. It was always going to be the partner for Laporte. And that's that's not me saying it. That's That was the plan. Guardiola did not come into this season thinking Stones and Diaz are going to be the first-choice pairing. Did he, did he come into this season thinking that Stones would be it, it, you know at the club? No. No. Well, well, yeah. Sorry. Into the yes, he came into the season thinking that, but at the end of last season, well, not even at the end of last season, because obviously because of all the overlapping timeframes with when the season finished in the Champions League, and the transfer market opening at a different time and all that kind of stuff, the plan was for Stones to go, Garcia to stay. Now, loads of City fans are going to be saying they dodged a bullet there. And to be fair, as much as I like Garcia, I'm not going to argue with that because of how good Stones has been. I think Garcia will go on to be a good player, um, but 
that is one of those sliding doors moments, really, when you think of how well Stones is doing. And, you know, he could be, uh, you know, a pivotal player in a, in a title winning side if he had have gone. I don't think anybody would have expected him to have played as he has. But if he had have gone, then we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about City now. So that is a big sliding doors moment. But no, the plan was keep Garcia, sell Stones, because last year was the big season for him, but he couldn't get the run in the team. He couldn't prove himself while Laporte was there. And Guardiola, look, it's, again, this is like me talking about the need for balance in a pep team. I'm talking that up because that's what Guardiola believes. And if you look at the teams that Guardiola picked towards the end of the season, when he played three centre-backs against Leon. Stones didn't play. That tells you everything you need to know. But then once, and that was even after um, Garcia had said he wanted to go. But basically the, the, the change in thinking was they would sell Garcia in the summer um, because he only had a year left on his contract. Um, and obviously then they couldn't sell Stones as well and buy two centre-backs because they'd have to buy three. So it was okay, Stones stays. Um, I think Stones, or Everton at least, thought they were going to get Stones back. Um, that's why they kind of waited quite late in the day to do their stuff. Um, yeah, sell Stones, keep Garcia and have the two new centre-backs. Obviously, Ake was in early and Laporte as the four. That was the plan. And then obviously that changed a bit. And in the end, Garcia didn't go anyway. So they've had this weird situation at the start of the season where Guardiola was still kind of using Garcia more when Stones was back from his injury. And then, yeah, he's taking his opportunity. But then, yeah, this whole thing about needing a, a left-sided centre-back. I mean, that's kind of what I mentioned earlier on as well. You know, if all things are equal and Laporte is playing as well as Stones and Diaz and Guardiola gets back to that stage where we can rotate centre-backs and it not make a huge difference to the solidity of the team, which has been the case in previous seasons. I I do think that in a big game, it, it probably would be Laporte because he's better on the ball than both of them. And he can switch that he can switch the play. So like I say, against a team like Atletico Madrid, they might just need those small details. We mentioned on the Blue Moon podcast, some of those fine details, which we always hear about, but we don't really appreciate. But in the article I wrote in November, which was about what it's like to play for Guardiola, uh, Raphael Honigstein spoke to um, Jan Kirchhoff, who played for, or at least trained under Pep at at Bayern. And he was saying, um, I think it was like, if if you're taking the ball from the left on your right foot, you should then play it with your right foot. So it's if you're in the middle of the pitch and you're playing it to the right back, to you should play it in front of them, obviously, for them to run onto, but play it with the instep of your right foot. So it's curling away. It's kind of arcing. So it's curling into their path, but at the same time, it started off a bit further away from the opposition players. The, the, the top of that arc is far further away from the bloke trying to get the ball, and then it curls back round into the the path of the guy who gets it. Bending round to stay in play sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. These are the kind of details. Like, I mean, this isn't the exact one for Laporte, but Guardiola's talked about it. I remember asking him the question about Laporte a couple of years ago. I think it was probably when he was just coming into the side or maybe the start of his second season. And it was Guardiola who then said, you need that balance. You need somebody who can take the ball first time. So if we're, if we're flipping that Kirchhoff example, if the ball's coming from the right to the left and you're the left-sided centre-back, Laporte can take it on his left foot straight away and play it on his left foot straight away. He doesn't need to take that extra split second, which is all you need in this pep team to make the difference, um, to get it onto his right foot and then play it into midfield. It's just that split second sooner. And everything in Guardiola's game plan is about the balls from midfield. You know, they, you know, uh, what is it that they that they never do? I think is they, they never play it in a, in a in a straight in a straight line. 
it's all about the quality and the specific angles of the passes. And he was like, to be able to get those best passes in midfield, you need the best passes from the back as well. And obviously this is where Edison comes in. So that left-sided centre-back balance is legitimately a thing. You know, that is how Guardiola builds his teams. It's just been that the circumstances of this season has meant that Stones couldn't be dropped. Remember going into the derby, the Manchester derby at Old Trafford, the one that was nil-nil. The question was, oh, would Stones be in the team? I was absolutely convinced because there was just no way, especially after Guardiola had said, look, if you don't play well, you're not in the team. There was no way he could have dropped Stones. And since the derby, he hasn't put a foot wrong either. So you just can't drop him. So yeah, Guardiola didn't plan to have two right footers. Um, It's Yeah, I'm sure if there was a big Champions League game, especially against a defensive side, I'm sure he'd probably still want Laporte in there if that's Laporte at the top of his game. Obviously, if Laporte isn't there, then you just go with your best players. But like I say, if all things are being equal, he probably will go with the left footer just so it's just that bit slicker. And it only has to be a split second. But just just those, just those, the quality of the ball out of the back, that it's really important. And those crossfield passes as well. Um, it's quite of a, a niche example. I'm not sure how many people remember too clearly the Brighton FA Cup semi-final. Um, in the quadruple winning season. But they were working so hard in the early stages to get... I think they had Bernardo over on the right-hand side and De Bruyne just inside him, and they kept switching the ball. And it was always Laporte doing it. And he's really good at that. When they tried to sign Laporte in that summer of 2016 alongside Stones, that's why they wanted him. Part of the reason why they wanted him for the crossfield pass. They didn't get him in the end. That's why they taught Kolarov to do it instead which feels like about 100 years ago. <laughs> but those things are genuinely so important. Um, obviously, yeah, the question says, fast forward to today, Pep playing two right-footed centre-backs and keeping clean sheets, and it still has balance. Is the argument for a left-footed centre-back really balanced, uh, really valid? Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Um, obviously, this goes to show that it can work another way, and maybe Pep's now thinking, oh, maybe it's not as important as I thought. But I do think as the season goes on, we will see... Um, just exactly those details it, yeah. because it's not just about keeping the clean sheet. It's, it's just the tiny, tiny things that we could never really imagine. Sam, you mentioned at the start of the show uh, that it's Guardiola's 50th birthday. We're actually recording it on his 50th birthday. Hmm. Um, he said uh, in the post-match interviews after the Palace game that he's celebrating on his own because his family's back in Barcelona. Um, it's, it's I bet he doesn't even mind that. I bet he doesn't mind. He'll just be watching videos about Villa. I was going to say he'll spend his entire day just just at just researching Villa, won't he? That's all yeah, he's absolutely. going to do. Um, just looking at his overall tenure then at City, because I think now's a, a, a kind of a good time to, to kind of look at it. Um, is it odd that he stayed at City for as long as he has, knowing what we know about him, knowing about, uh, you know, as soon as he feels that he can't, get anything more out of the squad or, or, or if they're not responding to him, then that, that's the time to say goodbye about the, the whole idea of, of uh, working in cycles. The fact that, you know, he finishes this contract, it'll be seven years that he's done at City, which is, you know, it's, it's far more than he's done anywhere else. Um, and what does that say about the setup that he's got for him here at City? Uh, yeah, it says more, well, it it says a lot about City um, and the, the way that they're run. But obviously, not just necessarily the way that they run, because if it had been another manager, like we can't praise City in the way they run for for keeping the manager, because you know it was it was the new kind of regime that obviously got rid of Mancini for various reasons, which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, and obviously, they they decided when to get rid of Pellegrini as well, because it's all built around Pep. So it, it goes to show probably more that they've built an environment where the main man that they always wanted feels comfortable. So in that sense, that sounds quite easy, but that's like mission accomplished. 
because things could have easily you know, things can easily go wrong with your best laid plans. There was probably no guarantee that they would have managed to keep Guardiola here forever. So they've done very well in that respect. I think the other thing is, I don't know, I think in football, maybe we're too quick to judge people on what they've done before and kind of hold them to it. Like, like, like at the moment, I'm, I'm really enjoying these articles that Guardiola wrote 15 years ago, but I'm very strongly resisting the urge to revert back to them too much in terms of what it tells us about him today. Because there's obviously a bit in there, but it's 15 years ago. And like so many times, like with Mourinho in particular, and Mourinho is probably the exception to this rule because Mourinho generally does behave as you would expect. There is there is that cycle to him, isn't there? Yeah. There is that element of doesn't really do more than three seasons. But I think maybe Guardiola's been a bit caught up in that because of how Mourinho's always done three seasons and it's always kind of gone badly. That kind of tied up with, well, Pep's only done three seasons. Well, he did four at Barca, obviously, but then was kind of burnt out by the end of it and needed a break and this, that and the other. And then he did three seasons at Bayern and moved on to kind of keep things fresh. And But again, I think he probably left Bayern just because City were, City were there then. Yeah. It get, again, to come back to the first bit of the answer, City had given him everything he'd wanted. And it, the time was right for him then to move to City, whereas in 2012 when they approached him, for whatever reason, it wasn't. So again, it goes to show that, yeah, that they've given him everything he needs. But it also just goes to show that we we probably read too much into things that we do know about in football. You know, that from the documentary as well, you get when you get a glimpse behind the scenes like that or somebody writes a book, suddenly in football time moves on and you're talking about things that a manager did nine years ago and you're expecting that to still be relevant today. You know, Guardiola was asked recently ahead of his 50th birthday, like, he was like, do you think you're a better manager now? I was like, oh, obviously. Like, <laughs> like, I've had nine, like, an extra like, nine years experience, 11 years experience since I, since I started at Barca. I just do things different ways. I've had, I've, you know, I've done things in different countries. Like, it's, of course, you, you you grow as a person and you 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 grow as an employee. Really, you grow as somebody doing a job. So, and yeah. it's interesting you say it that way as well because when I said, given what we know about him uh, and about working in cycles, that sort of thing, um, like we don't know that about him. He's only he's no, only had three clubs and yeah. he's done a different amount of time at each one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like again, because he left Barca, it was so intense. But like, can you can you even imagine? Like in this article I wrote, I mentioned how even when he was a player, the board, he believes, and people around him believe, and is most likely true, well, probably is true. Um, the, the board then, even when he was like the most decorated player in the history, was spreading rumours about him. And like what, the president, when he was out injured with a calf injury, the president was like asking the doctors to be like, oh yeah, but look at his head. Like he's sick in the head, isn't he? Like mental stuff like that. that <laughs> which is why he left when he was um, a player, like kind of a bit jaded and through the back door. And that's like, he was literally the most decorated player in their history and that's how they treated him. And then he comes back and he ends up like falling out with the board and he has to fight battles with the board and he has to kind of be the lightning rod for all things Barcelona and all things Catalonia. And obviously at the time that he was battling Real Madrid, of course he was knackered and of course he was exhausted and burnt out. But, and like maybe, maybe even I've um, read into this a bit too much, but like just that again, that happened seven or eight years ago, seven or eight, yeah, getting on for nine years. Um, it didn't happen at Bayern. He left Bayern and he came straight to City. And he, I think he was already kind of planning at, at Bayern what he was going to do at City. He was balancing two jobs. He wasn't burnt out 
when he left Bayern. And everyone knows this. Nobody says he was burnt out when he left Bayern. But it's just this whole thing of, oh, well, he was burnt out when he left Barca. And, and that was true. But like, I think we've probably read too much into that. And yeah, possibly myself as well. I mean, the other side of it is, there is definitely the element, which I've always said, when we talked about City's rebuild last year, when you know rival fans would be saying, um, oh, he can't just spend more money, blah, blah, blah. The other side of that is all managers need to keep things fresh. And like Dominic Torrent is on record. We did an interview in the summer and he was like, same for Pep and same for everybody. You need to keep things fresh. You need to change the man. Like a club needs to change the manager or change the players. As we know at City, they're not going to change the manager. So they need to change the players. They didn't quite do it to the extent that we thought last year. And that's why, especially given probably the tone of our podcast in October, November, when we were a bit dubious about where City would go in this season, Guardiola and the players obviously for responding, he deserves enormous credit for getting City to a stage where it looked like they were stuck in the rut. And my concern was the fact that it wasn't just the start of this season, but it was what had happened throughout last season when life was normal. And even after it had that three-month break, that three-month break didn't fix it. And the summer didn't fix it. And they looked like they were stuck in a rut. He's got them out of that. So maybe that's something. You know, maybe that I, I would imagine there were probably articles saying this is something Guardiola needs to do. He's never done in his career before. He needs to, you know, turn around a team. At the moment, it looks like he's done that. I guess we'll see at the end of the season where they finish based on whether he has. But it does look like he's done that. Um but yeah, that what Torrent was saying about change the players. Every manager needs to do that. So there is that element of he, you know, he would stay as long as he felt he could still get the most out of the players. That's just a fact of managerial life. But yeah, maybe we've all read a bit too much into things that have happened too long ago, and you know, aren't as relevant anymore. And like I say, there's little tip tidbits from documentaries and books and stuff that we read too much into because we don't know. It's, you know, as much as in my job, I try to find out what's going on in the dressing room and the team dynamic and why things work the way they do. But if if we knew even 10% of what goes on behind closed doors, we wouldn't have to keep relying on the 1% that we do actually get through these rare books and, and you know... Insights and behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. Yeah, like the Amazon documentary. Like the Spurs documentary, again, with Mourinho, it's the same thing. When he said that thing about Spurs, that he, I'm not going to try not to swear this week, I don't think I have, but he said he, he needs them to be, you know, and the worst word you can say on air. Um, that is a quote that will stick with him because it's so memorable. But like, if you heard him talk generally behind the scenes, and you you wouldn't read so much into everything. It's like these little tidbits and these little quotes can be turned into like entire philosophies, really. And that's I think that's why the managers keep surprising us generally because we we cling on to what we've got access to, but we don't have near enough to to kind of make those decisions. Going to finish, Sam, with some more questions from Twitter because I always ask the question if we got any uh, questions from Twitter and then I never end up putting them to you. So let's uh, let's fly through some. Yeah. Uh, Riwaz says, uh, is Rodri a mainstay in the team going forward or is there any truth behind the rumours of City looking at defensive midfielders like Locatelli, Zakiria, etc.? Yeah, well, where I'm wary is just because in the summer they were, as we, oh Christ, as we talked about enough, we knew they were looking at a left back. Obviously, towards the end of the summer, they kind of had a bit more of a nibble. But they'd already talked with Tagliafico's people earlier in the summer just to kind of see what was going on. We know, well, at least I've said, if you believe me, then we know that um, they made that inquiry for Jao Felix again and that they were looking for a striker, but that would either be a classic number nine, who's, who's well, yeah, a classic number nine, or um, 
like an attacking midfielder, false nine kind of thing, who scores goals. So we know they were looking for those kind of players. And also there were so many reports about yeah, um, Zachariah, Zakiria. Um, now there's Locatelli, but in the summer it was, it was Benacer as well. There was there was that weird one about Douglas Louise coming back, which bear in mind, I'd been saying all summer they're not going to sign a midfielder. So I was just kind of seeing all these thinking, this is weird. Um, but there was that weird one about Douglas Louise coming back that his brother like retweeted and said, well done, mate, you deserve it. And obviously it didn't happen, which is really odd. But it's clear <laughs> that those players that we were talking about in the summer and were talked about elsewhere, like the defensive midfielders, City were kind of laying the foundations in the sense that I think if they could have got another one, like Guardiola said, remember, um, in October, I think it was, they tried to sign a striker in the summer, but they couldn't do it in the end. These are the players they were looking for. And if they could have done it, they would have. But now that's obviously been thrown forward to 2021. And if you look at defensive midfielders, left-back strikers, that's in that report by Mike McGrath over the weekend. And Mike's fantastic on City. I've said this loads of times before, even when I had more info than I have now. But there's certain people that if they write something about City transfers, I'll be like, well, I'm paying attention to that. I need to check that out. And Mike is certainly one of those. So when he's talking about 200 million left-back defensive midfielder striker and the fact that it's very similar to what I was saying last summer, but in the end it didn't pan out and you can shout or you speak however much you want about that. I will when we go off air. Um, it all it all tallies together. So is Rodri a mainstay in the team going forward? I mean, is anyone a, main, a mainstay in this team? Like we'd have said Laporte was, but they signed Diaz and now look. So yeah, yeah. They'll look at defensive midfielder, as we saw last summer, no guarantees that, well, not just last summer, but previous, no guarantees that they'll actually get them over the line. But yeah, with that defensive midfielder, um, it is an area they're going to strengthen, I think. Um, But that's just depth as much as anything. Yeah. Uh, From Razman, if there's a choice between Haaland and Messi in the summer and a £200 million budget reported, are both possible? (laughs) I mean... How? <laughs> How would both be possible? Um, again, this comes into the hypothetical conversation we were having last week about Aguero and his wages. I know there was a lot of reports about Aguero over the weekend and um, City offering less. But again, as far as I know, and this is again up-to-date information as of right now, um, Aguero still hasn't heard anything from City. So that's where that's at still. Uh, God, will they, will they be able to get Haaland and Messi? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't even want to say it's possible, but unlikely, because it just seems like how how could that even be possible? But um, I don't know, maybe with Messi and the way they'd figured out the structure of his wages last summer, that they could do that. And maybe with, I don't know, making room in the team. And the people have been speculating about somebody like Mahrez leaving. I think people who like Mahrez have been speculating about Sterling leaving. You know, people, if they were to make room in the team like that, Aguero's wages either being halved or just gone or completely or whatever. Maybe that would make space for them both, but I certainly don't want to be in a position where I'm saying, look forward to Haaland and Messi <laughs> next season. So maybe we'll just move on. Yeah, okay. Uh, but that 200 million budget, like I say, I, I trust Mike and I also trust the fact that that kind of money was available last summer, but in the end, they couldn't quite kind of get who they wanted. And in the end, they just went, um, well, either in the end or early on in the summer, and I didn't find out until way too late. But at some point, they said CFG not- growth is important. Yeah, so, yeah. But that that kind of money is knocking about for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, Gaz Warrington uh, asks, who would your player of the season so far be? Uh, I'm struggling between Diaz and Gundogan. Diaz has been as influential to us as when Virgil van Dijk joined Liverpool. Just seems to have lifted the club and his attitude seems to have rubbed off on everyone. Gundogan is 8 out of 10 every game and links everything. That's a tough question. I, I think Diaz is the obvious answer. Um, I, th- I, just, I, I just think it's so obvious because of the impact on the team. And he's kind of taken the defence from a point where it could have been anyone, you know, last season. If we look at some of those defences last season, it would be like looking at those old team sheets from Pep's first season when it was like <laughs> Fernando shielding Kolarov and Clichy. You know what I mean? Like last season, it would have been like Fernand- Fernandinho, Otamendi, like a bad Stones. Uh, Garcia would have been there. In the Crystal Palace game, Rodri was playing. It was all over the place. And they've gone from that and the unreliability of that even the God, even the the back three was it against Leicester at the start of the season? Might have been a back four, but whatever. Just it was just a mess. And he's come in. He's had that obvious impact. It's been like Van Dijk at Liverpool, really, in terms of galvanising the team. Um, I think it has to be him. But Gundogan, absolutely. Um, especially because I was going to say he, not all of his games have been as kind of bright as they are now. Even though I, I would probably say I'm one of the people that tries to appreciate his game a lot more. Than, and probably does appreciate his game a lot more than a lot of people do, when he's even when he's deeper and keeping it simple. But even when he was a bit quiet, he was kind of struggling with the after effects of COVID a bit. And now as we've seen him get pushed forward, he's just so versatile. You know, in the back in that number eight position, this is probably as good as he's ever played in that advanced position. And then at the end of the 2018-19 season, when he played in that Fernandinho role by himself, he showed how good he was then. So yeah, this season, he is having a very good season. I'd probably still say Diaz has been better overall and he's had a bigger uh, impact on the team. So I would go Diaz at the moment. Yeah. Uh, just thinking back to those daft Guardiola teams. Uh, do you remember when they got done? I think the 4-2 at Leicester. Uh, I've got a feeling for that for that game. Uh, I saw the team sheet and just thought, what on earth is he doing here? Because I think he played a back three of three fullbacks. I think it was Kolarov, Sanya and Zabaleta <laughs> played oh uh, as a back three, which... Uh... <laughs> I'm getting it up yeah. now. I don't. This is this is live podcasting. I'm getting it up. Have we got the ad, oh, that's average positions. God, City are high up the pitch. Wow. I've looked at a lot of City average positions recently, um, just to kind of work out who's playing where and people's roles. See, there's for these so average positions for City recently have been mainly everyone's been around the centre circle, <laughs> which is like which is probably as you'd expect. But this game against Leicester. There's two players in City's own half. There's the number six, which who would that have been? Uh, Fernando. Number six was, yeah, number six was Fernando. He, he's on the centre spot, and there's number eight just ahead of him. But there's there's only so there's two and a half players in the City half. Everyone else is in the Leicester half in an away game. God, no wonder he got rid of that back three after that. No, no I tell you what, um, he, he actually played black four because Stones played. Uh, I'd forgotten Stones played, but he, it was it was Sanya Zavaleta, Korov, Stones. Zavaleta's there. Yeah, I'm looking at the BBC graphic, and I don't, either they've just not put any effort into who was actually playing where, or they just couldn't work it out. Um, but yeah, Kolarov, Sanyo, and Zabaleta are all playing. Brilliant. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, just just mad stuff like that. And that's yeah, that that's God. That's why it's so good to have Diaz and and Stones in particular to sit in the middle of it. To the extent that they can play Ake left back, they can play Zinchenko left back, they can play Mendy left back, they can switch between Walker and Cancelo doesn't matter too much because the two in the middle are so good yeah uh, final question for this week goes to MCFC fans corner and it's on Gundogan again because he says Gundogan looks a completely different player when he plays next to Fernandinho could the Brazilian get a new deal I reckon he deserves one based on current form more than Aguero 
Uh, well, I mean, yeah, he does. But that's just a fact of the, well, that's the simple fact, a factual statement. The Fernandinho has played more recently and he's played very well. Aguero hasn't played. So, yeah, I can agree with that. Um, as for Fernandinho, I don't think he knows what he wants to do either. I was speaking to someone last week and they were they were saying, yeah, we're, we're still waiting. So he's had the offers from around the world, um, an offer from City. Um, but he's just waiting to see what, what's going on. So he could get a new deal. Has, has he had an offer from City then? Is that yeah, as far, yeah, yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Um, I, I, I can't tell you the specifics. It was just one of those general kind of... Yeah, he could say a City next season kind of thing. There is an offer, but I don't know if it's one year or two. I would imagine, like we talked about Aguero last year, I would imagine it'll be one. Um, but And again, going back to the whole defensive midfield thing, and I can't tell you if they're definitely going to sign one or not because things change. I'm kind of piecing the two different bits of information here together. Nobody's told me that there's a direct link between them, but if I'm piecing together the fact that they're looking for a defensive midfielder and the fact that they've offered Fernandinho a deal, I'm guessing if Fernandinho goes, it's more likely they sign a defensive midfielder. That's what I'm going to say at this point. Um, so yeah, he could get a new deal. I suppose um, it depends on what he wants really. I don't I don't know. I can't see him going back to Brazil at the moment. He's got offers in Brazil and his boyhood club, Paranese, I think. Um, but I mean, Brazil's a difficult country to go back to now anyway just kind of how the world is. And also, I don't know, it just seems like he's got more to offer. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely possible. I've rumbled on enough about that. Um, but Gundogan looking at a completely different player next to him. I don't know, does he? I don't like, know. I, looks... I wasn't sure about that bit either because I, I think Gundogan looks a different player now that he's playing a little bit further no, he's ahead. Of, yeah. It's like, it's like the old, oh, the double pivot's crap and like that was a problem against West Brom, but it wasn't a double pivot. Gundogan was further forward. Oh, yeah, I, personally, my response to this would be he doesn't look a different player next to Fernandinho compared to Rodri. He looks a different player when he's pushed forward and he's got a different job. Um, it's a bit like Bernardo. Like Bernardo looks a, a different player. Now he's kind of cropping up in those number eight positions, even though he's not playing where De Bruyne is. Whether he starts on the wing or whether he starts behind him like he did against Chelsea, he can get into those areas. Whereas against Sheffield United, he was asked to stay on the halfway line, keep knocking the ball around, keep it simple, basically like the old Gundogan double pivot job. It, and the difference there isn't um, Bernardo Silva looks better when he's not playing next to Rodri. It's just the role he's asked to play. And I think that's 100% the case with Gundogan, to be honest. Um and I would agree with that, actually, though. That, that whole double thing, when he does play back there, it does help keep City a bit more solid, but it has coincided with him using the ball a bit slower for other reasons, like the inverted wingers. But also, it doesn't allow him to flourish in the same way that he did as the holding man on his own at the end of that 2018-19 season. And it doesn't allow him to flourish as he is at the moment in terms of getting forward. That's why I've always kind of said... He was a bit of a victim last season of Guardiola's tactical changes. If you think to that Wolves game in particular when City lost at the Etihad, he was kind of asked to do all sorts. It was kind of, well, can you stay back and help Rodri out and shield the defence, but can you also get forward as well? And it's just, it's just difficult. It's just difficult that. Even going further back, though, the, the, the Champions League defeat at, at Anfield, he was the one covering the left flank, wasn't he? And it just it didn't, like, it just because he's so versatile, was moved around the, around the pitch. Was that on the right, actually? It might have been the right hand side. Yeah, yeah, but even so, yeah, that was that was Guardiola doing the whole we'll have more passes, we'll just put Gundogan on the right, he can come inside, we'll have superiority in the middle. And it, it didn't work, but you can see what he was looking at. But yeah, yeah, there yeah, there was that as well. But yeah, particularly over the last um year, eighteen months, he's definitely been asked to probably do a bit more than than suits him. Um but yeah, if if you give him one of the jobs to do, either 
holding on his own or going forward, it looks much better. That That's what I would say. I don't think it's necessarily Fernandinho next week. Well, that's a lovely place to end uh, this week's Why Are Us, Sam, thank you very much for joining me as ever. Yeah, no problem. Um, I really like the question element. We should do this more often. Than I always say this and then we never do it. So let's let's make a yeah, we definitely now should, to, yeah, to, to do it more often. I, the last thing people need to listen to is me thinking things through as I talk. But it does kind of provoke me into new ideas and thoughts about the team. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to sign up to The Athletic right now, you can do it using the code MANCITYPOD and you'll get 30% off. The Athletic.